Hello folks and welcome back. I'm your host Simon Water and this is a High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast where I can promise that you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we will never have any adverts. We chat with our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships and happiness because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon, set a PB at your next race or just keep turning up until you're in your 70s. Each of these elements has real significance. One way to do this is with regular movement practice. And if you've got difficulty fitting it into your daily routine, I've made it easy for you by putting together a series of stretching movements in a single page PDF document, along with video links, which you can download for free. If you'd like to get hold of a copy, please look for the very obvious link in the show notes. Now. With the Ironman World Championships happening this week, I wanted to share a conversation with one of our best British females who will be racing on the Big Island. Back in May, Ruth Astle finished an amazing fifth place at the 2021 version of the Ironman World Championships in St. George, Utah. Don't ask about that, it's complicated. It got postponed from Kona last year and then they moved it to a different place. But anyway, it was still fifth at the World Championships. As Ruth bids for another top five finish, we chat about her journey from age group novice to world-class athlete in just 10 years and look forward to tomorrow's race. So let's crack on with Ruth Astle. Oh, welcome to the show all the way from Texas, I think, Ruth Astle. Thank you. Yeah, decided um, (laughs) to tune in from Texas rather than actually being a bit closer to you in Yorkshire. But um, yeah, come out for a bit of heat training before Kona. So yeah, very much. Well, I was going to say enjoying. (laughs) I don't know how much I've been enjoying it, but Mm. definitely been good Kona prep. US Open coming up. I mean, when everybody listens to this will be the day before Kona, but US Open coming up. Are you racing or are you just going to take in the atmosphere? Uh, I'm definitely racing, mainly because the, well, I wanted to be a part of the Opens this year. I think what the PTO is trying to do is really important in terms mm-hmm. of progressing the sport, trying to get a bit more money into the sport for professional athletes. Um, so I wanted to do Edmonton as well, but uh, unfortunately had a bit of an Achilles niggle, so I had to pull out of that one. Dallas, I was a bit unsure about because of the timing before Kona. So I kind of ummed and ahed a lot about whether it was the right thing to do, whether it was going to affect my Kona prep. Um, I had a long chat with my coach, Will Clark, about it. And we decided actually it would be quite a good fit out two and a half weeks before Kona. Um, and the yeah, the prize money they're offering is obviously ridiculous. So um, <laughs> if I go and have a, a fairly good race, then it absolutely more than makes it worth it but yeah I think as a professional athlete always kind of one of the things that makes me most excited is sort of racing the best in the world and most of the best people are going to be at Dallas not everyone but most people so Mm. it's just another opportunity to race them which is great so is it is it the woodland did I get that right then that you're at the woodlands or are you you, um yeah because that seems to be like quite a uh, quite a popular place for people to hang out these days um, and Texas is a reasonable climate um, replica for Kona isn't it? it's quite humid and it's warm and so uh, and, and it helps you to get sort of part of the time zone acclimatization done as well yeah so definitely um, I know a lot of people that have come out to Woodlands pre-Kona um, it's actually something that my coach had suggested uh, a few times 
And yeah, as I say, climate is kind of perfect for Kona. It's probably a bit hotter, actually. Um, mm. Most days here, it's been sort of 34, 35. Um, and yeah, humid. So <laughs> in terms of getting that heat adaptation, hoping I'll go to Kona and Kona will feel pretty nice in comparison. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's also got a really good setup. So like, there's kind of, there's a, there's not that many roads, but there's like a couple of really good roads Um for the TT bike, just like straight, flat, you get some really good miles in. Um, there's like a couple of master squads that you can swim with, but there's also loads of outdoor pools. Um, the running, like it's quite different to Yorkshire. There's like, it's basically all pavement, <laughs> which is a bit, a mm. bit of an adjustment, but again, there's like this lovely lake where the Ironman actually starts in mm-hmm. and runs around. Um, so I've been doing most of my running around there which again it's just it's just nice and like training feels kind of easy in that it's all close which yeah makes it much easier to tick off i have spoken to a lot of people age groupers and pros in the past going to kona who talk about how you have to adapt to running on tarmac all the time you know i know i know that in the group you're in in leeds you probably spend quite a bit of your time running off road and uh I always think that it does as a coach, it does take a while to to get your legs tempered to running on tarmac all the time, doesn't it? Yeah, it's definitely a different kind of impact. Um, And I think, I actually think you can kind of get away with it in a race um, to an extent, depending on how resilient you are and how your body kind of copes with stuff like that. But yeah, I think I was quite mindful that because I haven't done as much running uh, sort of generally over the summer because of the Achilles um, actually getting that sort of impact on the legs was quite important um, mm-hmm. but yeah I feel like it's always a balance and I think some people will would notice it and some people just probably as a complete non-issue and they're like what are you talking about <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah but again like I think for me it's getting that balance of trying to get some of that impact but also not overdoing it so I think it can also be really easy to overdo it and then mm. kind of not be in the best shape because your legs are just bashed <laughs> yeah uh, I think like Sebastian Keeney once said it's best to come in a little undercooked for Kona isn't it than overdone 100% I think uh, it's very easy to like look at everyone's training and look at what great <laughs> shape everyone looks like they're in and be like oh I need to do that five percent extra but I think yeah for any Ironman but particularly Kona being that little bit fresher uh definitely helps and I think that really helped me in 2019 because I'd had my crash like 12 weeks before Kona I actually mm-hmm. had like an enforced period of rest which I think actually was a bit of a blessing in disguise because mm-hmm. yeah otherwise you go into like panic mode of oh I need to do all this training and yeah extra stuff in and then you're just tired <laughs> which is not what you want to be for an Ironman so so when when you race uh in Dallas um the distances these new PTO distances yeah so just just let the listeners know what that is because <laughs> it's slightly um, different from uh, yeah. Ironman isn't it <laughs> it's definitely not my favorite distance um <laughs> it's so it adds up to 100k which uh is consisted of 2k swim 80k on the bike and 18k of running so definitely weighted a bit more towards the swimmers hence why I don't like it very much Mm. um but yeah I think they I think they wanted something a bit 
different. Um, and I think it obviously, in terms of getting some of the wild cards in for people coming from that Olympic mm-hmm. distance background, it's obviously not as much of a step up than the bike and run distance. So I kind of get it from their point. But yeah, for people like me who are the weak swimmers, it's, <laughs> it's never going to be my favourite. Yeah, well, we, I'd like to come back to that point about um, your swimming and how you fit in with everybody else, because um, obviously that's an important aspect of racing in Kona as well, isn't it, where there's no wetsuit. But let, let's rewind a little bit. I'd like to understand and help the listeners understand how you got to this point, because most people write, um, the, the, like me, actually, at the start, think, you know, who's Ruth Astle? I haven't heard of her. And then, ah, but I know Ruth Purbrook, and that, that was you, and you were a very successful age group triathlete, um, and we could talk about that. But how did, how did you get started in triathlon? Did you, have the, did you have the standard sort of swimmer and runner at school? Or were you something different? I do remember reading that you had a, a a bit of a history in team sports somewhere. Yeah, so unfortunately I wasn't a swimmer. Otherwise, that wouldn't be such an issue. Mm. Um, like I did a little bit of swimming, as in I could swim. And occasionally I would swim um, for exercise, but never as like an actual swimmer. Um, I generally was just active, enjoyed all sorts of sports. I tried loads of different things um but my main sport through school and uni was hockey and um, played a lot of hockey was always the person that just ran around a lot had zero skill um but just yeah ran around the field like a bit of a a bit of a uh person just not knowing what they're doing um and yeah I actually got into triathlon I was training for Berlin Marathon um I just started work for Lloyd's and I was a bit bored of just running and they had a charity place at the London Tri. So I thought, oh, that sounds fun. I'll give it a go. Um, I'd done, I'd maybe done like a couple of bike rides with my family at that point because I've got cousins that were quite keen cyclists. Um, so I was like, I know how to ride a bike. I know how to swim. I can obviously run. And yeah, just I like, really enjoyed the day. Um, I also had recently sort of moved to London to start work. So I thought it'd be quite good to then join the local tri club as a way of kind of making friends, socialising, and then having something that mm-hmm. was kind of a bit competitive and sporty to do. So I think one of the things I missed post-uni was that competitive element of sort of having hockey matches every week and that whole, I guess, social element around that. Um so yeah then sort of joined the tri club found out about all these like london league races and just kind of spiraled on from there really and so what what year was that then when you did your first triathlon so it was 2013 that i did london try and then it was the end of 2013 that i joined my club full on try and then yeah 2014 kind of actually started racing so um, let's just talk about this team sports thing because there's quite a few elite triathletes. Um, I actually, I don't know whether, uh, hopefully you'll find this a compliment, but I think that your running style reminds me a lot of Marinda Carfrey, right? Mm. And um, she's very similar to you in stature as well. And I know that she played a lot of team sport and I think that during her career, she was very resilient as an athlete. And I've often, and Craig Alexander was another one who I um, think has got a, just a fantastic running technique and also played soccer when he was younger. And 
I often wonder whether that background in team sports, where you're doing a lot of changes of direction, changes of pace, and, and you, your bone structure and your tendons and ligaments get used to that, those different paces and changes and movement patterns, whether that went in your formative years, whether that actually gives you a more resilient framework upon which you can then build an endurance base. Yeah, I think potentially. Um Although I would also say I don't know how resilient <laughs> my ligaments and tendons are, given the, the issues that I tend to have uh, Achilles and ankle ligaments. Um, but yeah, I think for me, I think the hockey gave me that general strong base. Like obviously throughout uni, we did quite a lot of strength work around it. Um, and I think, yeah, like there's definitely something about having done something a bit different because I think you like you're not as burnt out Mm. as you know I think you see some people that have well you often also get people that were like runners then had to take a break because of injury or just getting burnt out and then kind of come back to triathlon as something that's a bit more rounded um Mm. so yeah I think like maybe for some people but I think it actually just gives you that base of some kind of sport and fitness (laughs) that then you can just sort of build on yeah, I, I mean, I'd call that. I, I used to work as a, a strength coach in in um, rugby league and cricket, and I'd, I'd just say it was it's athleticism. I think you get, mm, and whereas if yeah. you if you look at um, the pure runners and swimmers, often they don't have that hand eye coordination. Um, but I do take your point that when you're playing team sports and you change your direction quickly, the risk of turning an ankle and that sort of thing is also there. And once you've damaged those ligaments, it's very very difficult mm. to strengthen them up again, isn't it? Um, yeah. So how? Um, how soon did you uh, start to get the um, the Iron Man sort of uh, inkling? <laughs> uh, that took a little while, um, mainly because I just thought people were mad that they didn't Iron Man. So I was like, it's so long. Why would you do that? Um, I started with the kind of typical, started hearing about people representing um, Britain. And I was like, that sounds so cool. I really want to do that. Um, obviously, in 2014... I'd already missed all of the qualifying races, so made it my mission to do that for 2015. Um, so went out to Chicago for the Olympic distance world champs out there and very quickly realised that my swim and run were nowhere near good enough to be competitive with that. Um, so that's where I started looking more at middle distance. Um, and by that point, I'd obviously heard quite a lot of people talking about Kona, this kind of magical place. And I was like, this sounds like something I should think about and had kind of realised that actually like the bike was my strength. So therefore doing an Ironman is probably going to be good for me because it's such a big chunk of the race. Um, so I did my first Ironman in 2017. Uh, I went to do Lanzarote, which my coach was like, that's an absolutely terrible idea. It's really hard. It's not going to be a good experience. Um, I actually, it was a terrible experience, not because it was hard, just because I had all sorts of like tummy issues. I was basically like sick in the swim, had to stop for a couple of loose stops on the bike. And then the run was just a kind of struggle from Portaloo to Portaloo. So definitely not <laughs> like experience that really makes you want to go back for more but I managed to get my Kona spot so um I sort of knew going into Kona that it probably couldn't be as bad as that (laughs) and it wasn't so yeah I think had I not got my Kona spot uh it might have been a bit of a different story and that I might not have been that tempted to do another one Mm. 
So 2017 Kona, how did you get on on that first visit? Um, yeah, I got on pretty well. I was third in my age group, um, I think 10th overall. So yeah, it was an all right start. But so you, at that point, I was obviously like, I want to win. <laughs> so you've got, you've got a little a little Amiki bowl and you wanted the big one. Yeah, basically. Okay, and that happened in 2019? When you when you won, um, I won my age group in twenty eighteen as well. Sorry. But I was third yeah. overall, and I wanted to win the overall. Right. Overall okay. One. Okay. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So fastest female age grouper in Kona, and there's a bit of a pedigree there um, amongst athletes who've turned pro. Kate Major was one, I think. I remember um, being there when mm. she did that as a, as an age group, and she went on to have a, a pretty good Ironman career. So what? What was it that made you think at 2019 that you could make that jump up to uh, full-time athlete? Because it's still a big step, yeah, isn't it? definitely a big step. Um, and actually, that was one of the things. So I'd started considering that I might be able to go pro in 2017, um, having like seen people that had come from sort of corporate backgrounds and done it a bit like later in life. Because um, I think, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, about being a professional athlete, it would have been like, don't be so stupid. Like, obviously, like, I've not done that as a, a younger person. I'm like, yeah, I'm not good enough to do that. Um, but yeah, I saw a few stories of, you know, people like Laura Siddle. And I was like, well, if they can do it, I could potentially do it. But one of the things I had in my head that would make me feel I was able to do it, partly was getting to a senior enough position at Lloyd's to be able to kind of either step away or go part-time um, more easily. And part of it was winning that overall title at Kona. Because um, then I was like, well, if I've done that, then I'm like theoretically the best of the age groupers. Although obviously there's a lot of people that are priced out of Kona, so you don't always get all the best people there. But um but yeah I was like in my head I was like I want to do that and when I then did that in 2019 it was like a relatively easy decision to then take my pro license I um I used to distribute compu trainers in the UK um I don't know if you remember those Ruth it's probably before your time but <laughs> Kyle Buckingham don't know if you know Kyle you've probably um been in races yeah. and Kyle Buckingham was uh just come over to the UK he was using the compu trainer to help him um, prepare for Ironman events and he came to me one year and said I want to turn pro and I said well you you know you really you really need to try and win your age group and be the fastest um fastest age grouper overall in the men's section and five years later he came and found me in the awards dinner and said hey Si do you remember this you told me that if I did this well I've won my age group now and I'm the fastest age grouper what do you think and the next year then he was a pro so he's not done too badly has he no it's done well but, but I think that's that's a good mark of whether you can step up is if you can be the fastest age grouper. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So t- tell us about that leap then. Uh, what's it like in terms of, because I know you're still working and we can talk about that in a moment. What's it like in terms of how you trained, how you change training volume? Because I've seen a lot of athletes that have made that jump who've just piled into lots of training and ended up getting injured nil. Um and what about the mindset as well of being a, a professional athlete versus an age group athlete? Yeah, so I think training-wise, um, yeah, I increased it a bit. I think as an age grouper, I was probably averaging about 15 to 17 hours a week. Um, and then 
as a pro, I'm probably averaging around 25-ish, but like two of those sessions are strength sessions, which is basically what I would always been off as an age grouper when I got short time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely more swimming. Like I'm swimming five to six times a week. So that's another of the couple of quest- uh, sessions. And then, um, yeah, I'd say most of it is then also bike. Like I haven't really increased my run volume that much. Um, mm. So, yes, I think it's not changed that much. Like the biggest change for me has been sleep. Like I'm actually getting decent sleep every night, which has been <laughs> probably the biggest reason that I've got better. Um, and I think probably mindset wise, like it's very, it is very different. Because I think, you know, I've been stood on start lines with people that I've kind of idolized and sport from when I was an age grouper and then suddenly you're on that start line with them racing them there is definitely a trying to sort of shift that mindset from oh these are like my heroes and these are the best people ever and trying to think maybe I could beat them because you you like I think you have to be able to think I could beat them to actually be still on that start line to give it your best shot um so I guess there's some of it around that I think the kind of good thing about Ironman compared to say like the Olympic distance is I think especially in the women's race at the moment a lot more of it is kind of in your control in that you can race your race a bit more as opposed to always having to react to other things going on mm-hmm. so and like clearly there's elements where you do have to react you know and like but again for me at the moment because I'm not generally coming out with the swim pack my main race is survive the swim, get out onto the bike, <laughs> chase, try and catch people. Um, whereas I think when I hopefully get to the point of coming out with a swim pack, then there'll be kind of more strategic decisions to mm. make of like, who are the people that I might want to go with if they try and make a break on the bike. Um, so yeah, so at the moment it's actually felt not that different for me racing in terms of how I approach it it's way more like I know the kind of power numbers and heart rate that I'm trying to hit um and if I kind of stick to that I know from my training that I should be able to get through the day um so yeah I think it's more some of the stuff around it of like I'm actually now racing all these people that I've massively looked up to and that I think are just like <laughs> these who, incredible people who who would Give me a couple of examples of who those people might have been then. Oh, like Daniela Reeves, 100%. Like, and the fact that she's also just a great person mm-hmm. and also quite likes an after party makes her mm-hmm. <laughs> even better. Um, and then I think there's other people that um, I guess I've seen come from either like a similar background, you know, someone like Kat, who I also yeah. actually spend quite a lot of time with, but kind of seeing where she's managed to get to in such a short space of time is um yeah pretty inspiring but like there's loads of people like some of the stories and the support of kind of how people have got there what they've come from um yeah it's just great but it also feels like you're still stood on that start line and people are still you can tell that people want everyone to have their best race but Mm. also to beat them but it's like a very kind of supportive but competitive atmosphere, which I like. British female long distance athlete have got a, a huge history, haven't they? And mm. always seem to do better 
than our males. I mean, at, at, you know, at the Olympic distance, it's it's been the males that dominated initially, and then and now recently with Georgia, yeah, and and okay. Jess have come through and none. But at, certainly at that long distance, um, going right back to Chrissy and um, Leander Cave, um, what what do you think it is then that that's enabled so many strong British females at, at Ironman distance? So yes, I think the sort of strength and depth in the British females at long distance in particular, I think partly due to the legacy left by the short course athletes. You know, I think what Alistair and Johnny in particular did was pretty amazing. And obviously got loads of people talking about triathlon and getting into it and and trying it. I think um I think part of it as well is that you know, I think success does breed success. I think mm. the more that you see people going out there and being successful, it makes you believe that you can go and do it. So I think more people have probably seen people go up that path. Um, I also think some of it is, um, and I'm sure I'll have many people <laughs> disagree with this, but I think some of it is the kind of training conditions that we have in England make you really resilient from a like mental perspective and physical perspective in terms of kind of what you have to deal with, with the weather, the roads, everything like that. So I think because Ironman in particular is such a, I think so dictated by your kind of mental resilience, I actually think that makes a big difference. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure there'll be many people from, <laughs> from other countries that disagree agree with that <laughs> no I, th- I, th- I mean I think you're right on all those points I mean even before Alistair and Johnny you know um, we had Julie Dibbons and Leander Cave and Chrissy Wellington winning in Kona and then that that whole thing's been carried on since then um, maybe not winning but definitely in, in terms of mm. some really strong performances and then now we've got yourself and Kat and then we've got um, you mentioned Laura and Emma Pallant at the 70.3 distances and uh, Holly Lawrence so it's just seems like the, the depth of the British females is is actually outnumbers the men quite a bit now. Mm. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and yeah, and I'm not sure why. Oh, I think on the long course, actually, in the men's side, we're getting more and more people come through. Um, and I think seeing people like Skipper and some of what, he, you know, his performance in Wales yesterday was oh, yes. pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Um, so I, th- I think it is getting there and I think we are starting to see a few more uh, of the men come through um, but yeah I think potentially when someone wins that's British uh, that might help from the yeah. men's perspective um, yeah. yeah we'll see it'll be interesting I think there's just there's so much talent coming up and we're starting to see more and more younger athletes come through and kind of start with Ironman so that's definitely changing the whole sport generally. One more question on the jump from age group to pro um what about your expectations of professional triathlete versus uh, an age grouper you know in terms of your own performances but also about your enjoyment of the sport has that has that changed at all? I don't think it has changed I think for me the focus has always been on kind of progressing and getting better um and part of that is competing against better people and kind of seeing how I stack up um but definitely I think you know some of my 
best races and the ones I sort of take the most enjoyment from are the ones that I know I've put together an overall good race that I've seen some of the progress I think I've made in training come through um so yes yeah, so I think from that sense it hasn't changed at all it just in some ways feels like the stakes are maybe a bit higher because mm. of well I guess it's on a much more sort of public field from like people are watching more in the pro race as opposed to the age group race um and I think if you're saying I am a professional athlete there's kind of you know I have expectations of what I think that means in terms of acting in a professional way Mm -hmm. doing all the little things which I think as an age grouper you can be like I'm doing it for fun like purely for fun um although saying that I think if it gets to a point where it starts not being fun as a pro that's your time to to stop anyway so yeah I think like it still has to definitely be fun um but it's about that a challenge the am I still getting better Mm. am I still making those improvements um that's the main thing for me I remember being at a race a few years ago with some friends and um, I can't remember who the pro triathlete was, but my friends were saying, oh, it must be great being a pro triathlete. You know, you get a new sponsored bike every year in a new wetsuit, you get your expenses paid. And he turned around and said to them, well, actually, it's not like that at all. This bike's three years old. If I don't get in the top five tomorrow, um, I don't have enough money to pay my mortgage next month. And so I've got to go and race next weekend. So, you know, if I finish, if I finish this race, finish sixth, and it was a half Ironman, I've got to go and try and race on tired legs next week, as well as all the traveling to get back to where I'm living. And, you know, whereas you guys look, you've got new bikes and you've got new kit. And after you finish the race, you can go off and have a beer and relax. And, and they came away going, Oh, it doesn't sound like it's much fun at all being a professional triathlete. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, the financial side of it is definitely uh, difficult, uh, I think. And but I like I also think, you know, I did I knew that going into it. So I made sure I had savings. I made sure that there wasn't a financial pressure element of going pro because I really didn't want to be in the position of Mm -hmm. having to take sponsors that I didn't really want for mm. cash um although again actually trying to get cash out of sponsors is really mm. hard uh, <laughs> um so yeah I think that there is that element but yeah as I said I I don't think anyone who races purely for money or that kind of pressure ever really does that well mm. um I think you see the like people have their better performances when they don't have that pressure um which obviously is quite hard for some people you know if you've not come from that corporate background or you've not got a spouse or someone who's helping support like obviously I get why there is that pressure for some people but yeah I, de- I never wanted to be mm-hmm. in that situation well you you did mention when you were t- considering turning from age group to pro um one of the um elements for you was to make sure you'd reach the right level within your um working environment so I know for a time you were still working for Lloyd's Banking. Are you still doing that now? Yeah, still working for them, doing about 14 hours a week. Very flexible. <laughs> okay, so I'm interested in that because I know previously we spoke and you talk about the work you do um, in promoting diversity and equity uh, and equality issues. So uh, just like 
can you, maybe you can explain on how that works for you working for Lloyd's when you're traveling so much and you're in different parts of the world. And then also go into a bit more detail about the diversity equality stuff, because I think that's maybe something that would be interesting um, to talk about uh, relative to triathlon as well. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Lloyd's have been brilliant. Um, I kind of, <laughs> I initially was going to take a sabbatical and I then thought, actually, you know, I'd spoke, again, I'd spoken to people like Laura Siddle, who'd come from similar kind of corporate background. And she was like, you probably want to consider keeping something to keep your brain engaged. Because I mm. think if you're used to having that kind of challenge, obviously going into something that's purely physical is very different. Um, so I basically proposed a job to my boss at the time because previous to that, I've been doing like business manager type roles, very like broad general stuff. Um, but I was like, I obviously can't do that on a part-time basis because there's too much to do. So I proposed to my boss at the time, I was like, you don't have anyone that's purely looking at inclusion and diversity. Um, he was in charge of all the tech stuff at Lloyd's. That was obviously a, a very challenging area for them. And I was like, if I'm doing it on one to two days a week and just looking at that that's like way more than you've got at the moment um thankfully he was like yeah that sounds like a good idea <laughs> so that's where it kind of started from and then since then I've sort of moved into the central inclusion diversity team um and I've now more been looking at kind of projects that come up around certain things so actually one of the things I've just been looking at is our family leave policy um so, yeah, I think it works in the because I'm looking at kind of projects. I can kind of say this is when I know I'm around because um, Lloyd's, we we're, we can't actually work from abroad because of tax implications. Mm. Um, so I have to, you know, unfortunately at the moment, I have seven weeks of no working. <laughs> what a shame. Mm. <laughs> um, but they, yeah, the flexibility I have to kind of say this is when I'm back in the UK. These are like the months that I can work. It's been great. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, it's obviously been talked about a lot in triathlon at the moment as well, the kind of inclusion and diversity. I think initially it started as much more of a diversity conversation of actually, if you look at most participants, they tend to generally be sort of white, middle class mm -hmm. um, people. And obviously there's some like triathlon has some clear barriers <laughs> of the cost, I think is one that's been talked about a lot. And I think um that's always going to be a bit of a challenge in a sport that you know I think swimming probably is the biggest barrier for a lot of mm. people from kind of cost and kit um and you know I think like a bike you can kind of get away with borrowing one secondhand trainers obviously you just need a pair of trainers so I think actually it's the kind of the swimming and it being the right environment to thrive and I think that whole cost issue around triathlon is now becoming more of a not just diversity but also inclusion because you know I think we're seeing at Kona in particular this year the costs mm -hmm. have spiraled um I think you know Kona's always been a very expensive place to go and I don't think so yes yeah, so I think from that you know I think I mentioned it earlier that you don't always get all of the best people there because mm. some people can't afford it uh, and I think that's just gonna get worse and worse because the costs are now kind of so high <laughs> um but you know I think even the cost of just doing like an Ironman you know for most people that's pretty unattainable to spend 
like 500 quid to do a one day thing. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably where I think with COVID we've seen a lot of these kind of more basic style, you know, go off an adventure mm. type races that are actually are cheaper or they're different. Um, but yeah, I think like the thing that we've tried to do at work, <laughs> which obviously is quite, it's different, but it faces like really similar challenges. You know, I think for example, trying to get mothers back into work is probably really similar to trying to get mothers to do triathlon. You know, they're obviously very short on time. Mm-hmm. Generally money might be a bit tighter because you have kids to look after and that's obviously expensive. Um, so I think, you know, we've looked at how do you make things kind of flexible? How do you make sure the right stuff's in place to make it as easy as possible for them? And I think with triathlon, probably one of the biggest challenges is making people feel comfortable to go and do the training or make it kind of work around other stuff they're doing. So, you know, if that's, yeah. You, you mentioned earlier the great work the PTO are doing, and I think one of their earliest moves was the maternity um breaks that they brought in for the female athletes um yeah. and maintaining point status and everything else uh, and you know you as a female athlete but also somebody who's working in this inclusion and diversity field you must have thought that was a a very forward thinking move yeah actually like the pto maternity policy is like way better than any corporate <laughs> maternity policy mm-hmm. um yeah and as you say having that there like we've obviously seen over the last few years, especially with COVID, a lot of athletes go off and and choose that as the time to start a family. Um, so having that extra support has clearly made a big difference to a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I think I still I still think there's a long way to go in terms of um, I think almost sort of how things are portrayed. So, you know, I think in the sort of triathlon media, kind of how we're talking about different athletes, you know, I think we've seen um, kind of, especially from the PTO, they, they're trying to focus on some of these like rivalries. And, you know, I think that potentially works quite well from the men's side, because I think the men will kind of play up to a bit more and, mm-hmm get into that but I actually think on the women's side it is potentially alienated women from engaging in it because it's just not it feels very unnatural because as I said you know I think most of the women are kind of stood on that start line not having kind of rivalries as such like obviously being competitive but it, it I think it has a very different feel so I think there's more that can be done around kind of like promoting and celebrating some of the different stories. Um, you know, I think the the video that PTO did on Chelsea Sodaro and her mm-hmm. comeback from having a child was brilliant. So I think kind of more things like that to kind of show, you know, we've got all these different stories, got all these different personalities mm-hmm. and characters that have come from different backgrounds. So I think that's part of it. Like before... before I turned pro um, and before having a few conversations with various people I kind of assumed to be a professional athlete you would have to have come from like a more elite background or Mm. um you know be someone that's always excelled at sport which definitely isn't the case I think it's almost that emphasis on 
there are loads of people from all these different backgrounds and some of them from like very average sporting backgrounds like me <laughs> so it's almost you know talking about that to make people know that like you know to go back to the Ironman motto because I do think it's true that like anything is possible you know like anyone can do it it's just kind of knowing that you can and having the confidence that you can well having the right environment is hugely important in success isn't it not just at work but but also in sport now I was watching the Sub 7, Sub 8 project, the Phoenix project that you were involved with, with Cat Matthews' team. And I know that one of the things that Cat was talking about was happy heads make for fast legs. Now, I've talked to quite a few athletes about how important it is to have harmony and um, balance in your life. And, and um, Jody, I did a, a podcast with Jody Swallow a few weeks ago, and she also referenced Nicola Spirig. And she was saying that she felt that Nicola and her were on a similar trajectory, but um, you know, for various reasons, Nicola's gone to where she has and Jodie's gone to where she has. But one of the things that she talked about with um, Nicola Sprigg was this harmonious sort of family life that she has and with Rito and the children. And it just seems like she's just in a really, really happy place. So um, can we talk a little bit about the Sub 8 project? And can we talk about mm-hmm. how that happy heads make for fast legs? Because I think a lot of people might be thinking it's a bit woo-woo and out there, but I definitely don't think that's the case. Yeah, I think um, that kind of sentiment of happy heads, uh, yeah, probably relates to what I was saying earlier. Of like, I think if you're racing for the wrong reasons, it never goes that well. Um, and I think you can see it with lots of different people that when they're clearly in a happy, comfortable confident place because I think actually generally if you're happy you tend to feel more confident which I think for sport is a big thing but yeah I think for sub eight um we just had a great team and like our vibe the whole week you know everyone was really getting on with each other it was a lot of fun um and I think the way you know because Kat obviously was subbed in quite late and we didn't really have that much time to take it really seriously and be like, oh, we're going to go and do all these tests and, mm-hmm. you know, do stuff that some of the other teams did. Um, I think our focus had to be on, it is going to be just a completely different experience that we have to make the most of. Um, and yeah, it was brilliant. Like it was so much fun, like having women from different sports and kind of being able to, learn from them and get everyone to give their voices and ideas of kind of what we should do is just fantastic and I think yeah like it really came through that uh that everyone really enjoyed it I mean maybe not so much while we were (laughs) trying to batter it on the bike and it really hurt but um yeah I think you know you could definitely see with Kat as well she kind of she was able to draw on the fact that the team believed in her and supported Mm. her and you know like it didn't ultimately like yes it was brilliant she won it was amazing the time she did she was great but I think we all would have come away having had exactly the same positive happy experience had she not just because of the way that we could be and the way that the group kind of gelled um so yeah I like for me I think it is really important and I think it's partly why having the right people around you I think makes for those good performances whether that's like your coach your family whoever mm. um so yeah I definitely agree with it even if it is a bit woo-woo <laughs> no um what was it like 
on that bike then team time trial for <laughs> I don't know um, what, was, what was your what was your eventual time was it was 340 or something was it on the bike 350 I've got no idea That's okay first. anyway what, what was it what was that <laughs> what was that super fast team time trial like because because generally triathletes are not known for their bike riding skills when it comes to ra- no. riding so close for so long on a wheel yeah it was um very different and like really cool to be a part of like really like the you know I think I would love to see something like the Collins Cup go to more of a format like that. Um, mm-hmm. Probably not over that distance, but I think because yeah, it's just, it's fun. It's different. You get to think about different things. Um, like it was really hard work. I think, you know, had we had more time to actually practice, we probably could have found like a slightly, like potentially better way of, of doing it. Like the, kind of role that I was playing in terms of trying to keep it not surgery for cat was actually like really hard and often felt very surgy so um yeah I think from a when you're riding like that a in that position like all the time I think it's why like flat races are actually often way harder than hilly mm. races because you're just in that position you can't really move um but also riding in a way that is so different to how I would ride an Ironman in terms of like all the surges, like basically every time we rotated at the front, I was kind of having to surge a little bit to keep us on the wheel. Um, so yeah, I think my like power graph from it is just like spike, 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 spike. What do you, what do you um, think? I, what do you think you average for the, for the ride? Do you know? Um, I can look it up. I'll I'll find it. Um, but yeah, I think the I got off the bike and I was like, oh my goodness, like I don't think I can do any running here, or what running I might be able to do is definitely not going to be helpful for cat's pace. Um yeah, I felt like my hip flexors coming off that bike, I think from having been in that position so much was like pretty pretty horrendous. Um but yeah, I think, as I said, like just different experience of something just bizarre, like kind of kind of bizarre in a triathlon setting to be part of a team because mm. that's obviously just so different. Um, yeah. Well, I guess, and all, I, I guess also um, there was a lot of different logistics to work out that you're not used to working out in uh, a race where you're on your own you know, who's going where in the team? How are you going to protect this? What are the different tactics? What can we try? Um, and I would imagine that, that, that trying to solve those little puzzles was enjoyable as well. Yeah, there were lots of things that, again, like, I think we tried to not get too much into the detail because of knowing we basically had that week and we mm-hmm. didn't want to make it too, oh, there's like pressure on this scenario or that scenario or this is what we need to do. So I think it was more, we kind of had the rough plan that we wanted to try um, and we adapted it a little bit, but actually didn't really change it that much. So I think we were like, if we tried to change it too much, then it would have got very confusing. Um, (laughs) But yeah, you know, we definitely, we had like meetings where we talked about what, what we could do to change it a little bit um but yeah ultimately also it was kind of everyone feed the ideas in 
but the whole goal was kind of get Kat there as comfortably as possible so she can then run a fast marathon. Um, so yeah, a lot of it was actually kind of dictated by how she felt and what was going to make her feel the best. Um, but yeah, we've actually had quite a lot of chats after it. Uh, and I think one of the biggest things would change is not having me in that position right in front of her because I think obviously... <laughs> I'm quite aero, so she wasn't really getting much of a ah. <laughs> much of a benefit. So I think actually probably one of the most helpful things with her would be having someone a lot bigger in front, so she was actually saving saving a bit more. Okay, um, let's let's go back to triathlon normal as we know it. Yeah. Triathlon now. Then, so you mentioned earlier that um, in some of your races, you, you you know you've been very satisfied to see your progress and where you've executed everything well. Um, where does St George? earlier on this year, the Ironman World Championships 2021. Um, where does that fit in there? Because you had a fantastic finish. You finished fifth overall, got on the sort of the big podium. Um, and that's a big step forward for you on the, on that stage. So um, was that a race that you felt like you executed well? Because I know those two don't always go hand in hand, do they? Yeah, so like definitely, um, yeah, St. George, very proud of, very happy with. Um, like you know if you'd asked me last year what would be your dream for kind of your first world champs like finishing the top five would kind of been a massive stretch goal um as a race overall I mean yeah there's obviously parts that I look back at and I'm like oh I could have done this better done that better but I think again that's kind of what makes I think, you know, every pro athlete will probably go back and do that. I'm sure Daniela even looks back and is like, oh, I probably could have done that a bit better. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I think, you know, I didn't have as good a swim as I wanted. So the bike I was at, I'm just kind of chasing. Um, I put myself, I was actually, I was hoping for a better bike, but I was also very aware that the run was going to be really tough. So I think, like actually in hindsight whilst I was hoping for a better bike probably having that bike set me up for quite a good run um and run wise I didn't pace it particularly well but my uh, I never got GPS on my watch so I had actually no idea what <laughs> what I was running so I definitely went out way too hard um and then faded quite a lot in the back half so yeah but like overall I think like there were many moments on that run where I was like, I'd quite like to stop. Like this really hurts. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of done. Um, and actually the fact that my, that I had some family out there watching was a huge driver in keeping going. So I was like, they've come all this way out to watch me. I can't, <laughs> I can't stop and walk. Got to keep going. So yeah. And then other things like seeing Kat doing so well, that was like massive inspiration. Um and I think, you know, with an Ironman, like if you just keep going, you're going to get somewhere. So, yeah, I think as like all things considered, like I still look back on that performance as overall, like really, really positive. Um, yeah, it's kind of, and it, it is kind of surreal because I now kind of have the expectation and again, like the goal that I'm hoping in Kona, like another top five would be amazing. There's obviously a few people who will be racing Kona who weren't able to make St. George that are obviously some of the like top athletes that will make that harder. Um, yeah, I think we'll see how it goes. Um. <laughs> well, let, let's, let's talk a little bit more about Kona then. Cause uh, when, when we're listening to this, it'll be tomorrow. Um, yeah. What obviously the swim non-wetsuit 
um, is going to make a big difference. You've already talked about how swimming's not your strongest compared to some of the other ladies. So um, tell us about how the dynamic changes when you get to Kona. There's obviously those other athletes you mentioned coming in, but what, what other things make it different and therefore perhaps a different, a different strategy for you? Yeah, so I think um, actually one of the differences is the like the deep water start um, and the fact you have to swim reasonably far out to the buoy to get there. So it's not, so like St. George, one of the things that I could have done much better was like kind of where I started and starting position. Mm. Although part of that was out of my hands because they like called the top 10 out to like pick their position. So I was then like starting a bit further back. Whereas obviously in Kona, it's like <laughs> you get to swim out. Yep a bit of a battle anyway so yeah the deep water start will make it different obviously in a wetsuit and that kind of sea like it can be really swelly in Kona like one way or the other I think 2019 we had actually quite a nice current bringing us back in so that was Mm. quite fast Uh, and also the fact that there's not like you literally have the like one turn boy basically at the end so it's not I think other swims can get broken up more when you've got more boys to go around um so yeah, I think actually I feel like Kona could be a better swim for me in terms of like generally being a straight line. So hopefully I can find some feet and mm. not lose them. Um, and I actually, I don't think I lose that much from non-wetsuit versus wetsuit. Um, so yeah, I think it's mainly that it's just trying to fight for the feet in those first three, 400 metres. And I think then if you can find yourself in that good pack, it's kind of staying there um but yeah like it's good and also I guess at the moment we don't actually know who is 100% going to be there I still think there'll be some more people that won't turn up that are on the start list um so we'll see yeah for me like some of those kind of middle people probably makes quite a big difference in terms of how many people I've got to swim with and what about the uh, this is the first time we've had a females race on the Thursday, separate for the men's and um, mostly females racing. There are some age groupers racing. How, what impact is that going to have on the race as a whole? Because I know in the past, although they tried to separate it out with sort of delayed start times, a lot of the, a lot of the female pros have talked about the faster age group men, how they get into that mix when they're racing and that upsets the dynamic a bit. It's not going to be like that this year, hopefully. So you're going to have all your own way. The first people crossing the line are going to be females. It's going to be all about the female athletes. I've heard of some people saying actually they're not sure whether they like that idea. Um, so I think from a pro perspective, get a Kona, I don't know if it has been that much of an issue with the age group men. Um, maybe I think probably it was a few years ago but but maybe okay, not in recent fine. times yeah um, I was going to say I actually think it's way better for the age groupers like it means it will actually be a fair race because definitely as an age grouper the men would get involved um, but yeah I think like it is nice to know that there definitely won't be any men impacting the race because I'd say like most of the races I've done up to this point um there has been an impact of sorts just because like people are there on the course and they're obviously going to impact it in some way. Um, I think, and I, I, I actually quite like the idea generally, but I think from a, also from a pro perspective, the fact that sort of Thursday means we're likely to get way less people actually mm-hmm. watching because people yeah. are going to be working. 
Um, For people that are back in Europe, you know, often I know people would have like a Kona party at the weekend and it didn't really matter with the time zone and staying up all the time because you've got a Sunday, whereas you're not really going to do that if you've then got Friday at work. So Mm -hmm. I think it will impact kind of actually how much involvement there is of people watching the the women race. Um, And I think it's a bit of a shame that they've already said it'll be the same format and with the women also on the Thursday again next year. Because I'd get it if they were like, oh, we'll swap it. Mm. And But equally... I'm also super happy that we've got the first race because it then means that I can be done and I can watch the men, um, which will be cool. Because again, I think you often don't get to see that other race, uh, which will be quite good to actually watch. So yeah, I think it's got pros and cons, but I think the biggest win will be for the age group women. I think that'll be like the fairest age group women's race we've seen. Um, I feel a bit sorry for the age group men that are starting on that because they're right at the end so they are going to have to cycle through the women in front um Mm. but yeah it's just tough isn't it they've just got too many people that they're trying to make race and they just shouldn't have as many people racing (laughs) yeah and i think this is the first time isn't it where we've got equal numbers of females and male pros which is something um that, that i know a lot of your female colleagues athlete colleagues have been campaigning for quite some time now yeah, so I think like having that equal numbers is great. Um, but again, it'll be interesting to see how many people actually turn up, mm, mm. especially with the cost. I think quite a lot of those pros that yeah. have potentially, and again, more I'd say more so on the women's side, probably. Well, it is. I mean, you know, I've been, I've been going to Kona for 20 odd years now and I've noticed the prices of properties this year is hugely different, you know, doubled or tripled for properties that we were renting four or five years ago. And that's that's nothing to do with Ironman. That's just the people from Kona who have those, or people on the mainland who have those properties probably trying to recoup what they lost in COVID. But it does price out a lot of athletes. You can see people on the forums looking to share rooms and share this and share that. And I think that's, that's, that's new and it's not going to change much. Mm. No, definitely not. If anything, it'll get worse. <laughs> mm. So, All right. Well, Ruth, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. I know you've got other stuff to be doing, uh, including resting a bit more. Um, not long now <laughs> to the big dance, as they call it. Um, yep. I look forward to seeing you there tomorrow, as it will be. Um, yep. So th- thank you for joining us today. Best wishes with the remaining few weeks of your training and uh, enjoy your traveling. Thanks very much. Thank you again to Ruth for being a guest on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, you can find links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. To make sure that you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and hit the subscribe button. Oh, and don't forget to look for that link in the show notes so that you can download your free mobility program. That's all for now. I hope you enjoy watching the Ironman World Championships. Have a great week and I will see you on the next episode.